Welcome, 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 one and all, big and small. You've reached the podcast known as The Three Carnies. So come on, let's show you around. And he cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. She has become the dwelling place of demons prison for every unclean spirit and hateful bird. And the kings of the earth who committed acts of immorality and lived sensuously with her will weep and lament over her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance because of the fear of her torment, saying, Woe, woe, the great city Babylon, the strong city, for one hour of judgment has come. Welcome again to another episode of Three Carnies. Hi, I am Monica. I'm Tana. And I'm Jen. This week, we're going to be talking about the episode Babylon. So let's get to it. The episode starts off with a powerful monologue from Brother Justin. We see a lone traveler walking up the road as the carnival approaches. After a brief chat with Jonesy and Samson, the traveler leaves with the ominous line, We've been waiting for you for a long time while getting a flirt as he walks away. Everyone complains playing Babylon is a bad idea. Samson sells the crowd, but later questions management himself. Rousties let Jonesy know they're leaving after the gig. Ben walks towards Lodes' trailer. Ben tells Lodes he has the clanks. And Ben basically tells him that he's full of it. Ruthie gets Ben back to work, and then she gives Lodes a what to for leaving him hanging. Sophie and her mother argue about her experience. She leaves the trailer to find Trouble in Paradise at the Coop Show. Sophie joins Libby for a smoke and conversation about safe sex. Dork comes on to Ben. We then see Jonesy, who is angry at Samson, who offers to send everyone to town to blow off some steam. And that's how we start off at Babylon, guys. Let's, let's start with the intro. The first one thing I noticed was just how beautiful the scenery and epic it was when the carnival was driving down the road and sees the handsome stranger with the accent and that my first thought was like oh no wonder this show cost a million dollars and I really liked the interaction between Samson Jonesy and the stranger it like he was so mysterious and it would seem like he would say things and then catch himself and be like uh I should not have said that and walk off and Jonesy just the looks he was giving was he's such a good straight man but the fact that they both just roll their eyes and keep going to me at least when I watch it like all three are sizing her up and Mm -hmm. all of really great poker face and I don't know about timeline but I just know that actor from the mummy and (laughs) I'm sure he has a very, like, large body of work. But uh, when I saw him, like, oh, they got a famous person. On Hannah? Yes. Yes. And I knew you'd know that, and I appreciate you very much. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. He's just good. Like, he, he plays that I know something more than you, and you're not going to know it. Probably. He just, it's yeah. even for the minor roles. Yeah. John's. Yeah. His grin was so sly. 
Yeah. Yeah. That was great, like, having that opening monologue, too. Very dark and really sets the tone for the whole episode. It's from the book of uh, Revelations. Yeah, I kept thinking, like, because he's praying when he's giving that monologue. I was like, what type of person prays like this? Mm -hmm. It's just so dark. Yeah, the whole, this episode is the hardest one for me to watch. And I think it's because it starts off like that, where it just starts off with like something looking over your shoulder and you feel uncomfortable and just the whole episode makes me feel that way. <laughs> but it does a good job of setting the tone. Okay, so yeah, so in the beginning, he's reading from the book of Rev uh, Revelations. And then I just wrote, is he planning perhaps on a retribution to whomever murdered the children? So, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, he's in the burned down building, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Totally makes sense. Uh, I don't want to make him mad. No. And he's yeah. very mad. <laughs> yeah, in the, in the script I have of this episode, we, we pretty much take like a tour through the burnt down ministry before landing on Justin. So that that would have been interesting to to see, but I don't think we really needed all of that, though. No, yeah. it's just like um in a couple of the early episodes when they had a lot that they wanted to and just trimmed it down to the basic. So like when they had that like the mother and baby, and then like how they trimmed down their opening and the pilot to just be Samson talking. The show's really good about just giving you the, the basics of what you need and how you need it. Yeah. Oh, and going back to that conversation between Samson and Jones and Stangler, my notes were, this conversation is weird. Too many long glances and silences. They should obviously leave. And <laughs> nothing good is going to come when the one man would rather fist 50 miles of desert than be here. All right, so my notes on the conversation between Samson, Stangler, and Jones is that the conversation is just really weird. There's just too many long glances and silences, and then they should just leave. I I would say that thing was like the opposite of a welcome wagon, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I also wrote that nothing good is going to come when the one man would rather face 50 miles of Devrit of desert than be here <laughs> <laughs> it's really uh, i don't know if we'll get into his backstory at any any point in time but i do have questions i'm fine to like hold them but this is like the third time i've seen this episode and i still have questions about that whole thing but mostly it's so creepy i try to skip past <laughs> but yeah i was uh, gonna say i was proud of ben given loads of piece of his mind and as much as like he has the ability to know <laughs> yeah that interaction between them was so great like these two people doing chess pieces and when ben was like i figured you out you don't know half as much you know as you want us to think you do and loads is half is better than none it's boom he got you ben <laughs> like <laughs> he still knows more than you <laughs> Mm -hmm. 
what is it? And the clanks is like some kind of withdrawals, right? From the lack yeah. of absence. Yeah. He's an alcoholic. Well, is it alcohol or is it opium? Yeah. Let's just say addiction. Yes. Yeah. Because <laughs> when cover our bases. <laughs> yeah. Because Ben says like it's been a while since you picked up your package or whatever. Poodle piss. <laughs> oh goodness. Um, another thing that I'd like to say about that that scene is that when Ruthie comes in and Ben walks away and leaves, that trailer is not that small where Ruthie and Ben need to get that close to each other to walk past. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, There's... why didn't you go on the other side of the chair, Ben? <laughs> yeah, they're starting to, I don't know, build something up there. <laughs> yeah. She's so good. Ruthie's just let him get back to work. And then she goes, can I help you with your pillow? And he's like, yeah, that'd be great. And <laughs> she just pulls one of those. It's just a classic move to do. It, it, as you learned. So I really liked her in that scene as well. And then we get to see like Sophie in a different light this episode that we've seen her before, which is interesting, I think. My note was what <laughs> would their argue Sophie and her mother's argument was like god she's such an emotionally abusive mother like hearing the one side of sophie being like i'm not carny trash it made me think of how close or that's one of the reasons ben and her can relate to each other is both having this fraught relationship with yes mm -hmm. if you had a norman bates's mom in your head at points because she's just mean. And I would, when I think about all the times I've seen interactions, it's never really been positive. It's more like Sophie has mom is a burden in a sense. I don't get a very mother daughter vibe. It's more a lot of lecturing and disapproval on her mom's part. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I liked her with Libby, and she seemed almost like an. I don't say normal, but just a lot more carefree than we typically get to see her. Like her guard is down a little bit. I just think it's yeah. sad that it took them so long to finally bond together when they've both been in the Cardinal since kids. Yeah. Well, yeah, but they've also been in such like different capacities. Libby is you know, literally being pushed out onto the stage and Sophie is more kept in a trailer. I think that was very much a sign of maturity <laughs> that they're branching off and finding things outside of their families. Yeah. We then see the carnival gang go into an empty bar and the bartender is the traveler that was on the road. Sophie and Libby go to see the movies and Libby flirts with a creepy attendant that can apparently play the piano. They trade tales of their very first times. Back at the bar, the music and alcohol are flowing. The bartender likes Dora. Ben drinks alone. Samson and Jonesy still haven't made up. Strangers watch the fun through the window in a very creepy way. Jonesy tries to dance with Sophie at the end of the night and gets rejected. Ben and Jonesy trade barbs while drunkenly urinating. Just a night out. <laughs> <laughs> can, we, can we go back and talk about one conversation first? But sure. I want to acknowledge... Dora, 
Dora Mays, or is, is, is it Dora May? That's the right name, right? Her conversation with Ben was golden. Out of nowhere, her like, I have one boob <laughs> bigger than the other, and Ben just being like, oh, <laughs> yeah, oh, okay. And then she just keeps talking. And when she's, I bet you're a good kisser in her face, just like a 14 year old leaning up, hoping the guy kisses her was just so spot on. Like, I love the kind of character building that we saw. Yeah, I think her, she's very direct and probably used to getting the attention right back. And to me, Ben is very... I don't want to say scared, but like intimidated a little bit. <laughs> Definitely not doing in the way that she wanted him to do. Yeah. And I, I don't know if necessary. I think Dorme was half doing it to scare him and like screw with him a bit. And half she was like, but if he does kiss me, awesome. Yeah. Like, I think... Go ahead. Oh, Sorry. I was just going to say, I think she just preferred teasing Ben. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, because when he walks off, she just laughs it off. And I just think it's... And I just think it's sad when he asks her, like, when he's, do you like that people grabbing at you? I'm just like, that's all she knows, Ben. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's all she knows about the world. She knows how to use her body to her advantage. Like, she doesn't know anything else, which is really sad. Yeah. I do think there was a slight bit of judgment there with him. Yeah, I, th I think so. <laughs> yeah. I remember in the Millface script when he saw the talker trying to pimp out in the show, it's it was it's Rita. In the script it was Lila and he was a lot more against it so the bar scene i just loved that whole interaction and watching sophie and libby bond libby's clearly the more bold one but sophie was totally going through it and it was super creepy that you could see the attendant like watching out of the movies and you could see his arm move when they're watching and Libby just seemed to know how to handle it. Like she wasn't off put. She's used to dealing with creeps. And so she doesn't let it phase her, which is something else. She's going to have a good time. And that is not going to rain on her parade. And I think Sophie likes the company when she's yeah. used to being alone. I think Sophie legitimately likes Libby as a person and is really enjoying kind of bonding. And with Libby letting that dude put the finger down her shirt it's a more time that sophie can steal more candy <laughs> and b it might mean libby gets more money later yeah she plays the piano really well too yeah i kind of just like how they made their own good time more or less the bar was empty but that wasn't going to stop them from having fun. They have drinks, they make music, they dance. And it can be happy wherever is what I took from that. Most of them. I mean, Junzi was grumpy and Ben was sullen. But like for the most part, everyone else can. 
Yeah, I thought it was interesting how many. So Samson, Jonesy, and Ben were sitting by themselves. And one of my notes was so many sullen men all butthurt about everything <laughs> and not actually communicating. Yeah. Just a yeah. little. <laughs> Gosh, that scene though, when they zoom out. And then all the people are watching through the window. Super creepy. It went like straight to horror movie in my head. Yeah. It's a lot more apparent in the script, like how much like Ben is actually drinking and how much Jones is actually drinking. I don't know if you guys picked up on it, but Jones is actually an alcoholic, though. Yeah. And. Yeah. So obviously this scene is a lot longer in the script too. Like after Ben goes to take a piss, he comes back to the bar. He doesn't go fall into the mine right away. There's a few th weird spooky things happening with Ben when he goes back. The first one is like on the wall, there's pictures of groups of miners and he finds the one with Scudder in it. And then he has to go and show Ruthie. And then Ruthie comes over and looks and she's, oh honey, you're so drunk. Because apparently this photo now does not have Scudder at all. And then after that, they also have a really weird, awkward dance. Kind of like a shining thing happening there. Yeah. <laughs> and they both seem really into it, weirdly. Or Ben gets embarrassed and stumbles off. Who's, who is Ben dancing with? Ruthie. Oh, okay. They <laughs> use the term aroused, so... Yeah, they're into it. And then the other weird thing was the, is it a ghost? Are they ghosts? Okay, anyway, so I'm going to say ghost. So the ghost yeah. of Carl Buttridge is in the bar and is confusing Ben for Henry Scudder. And he's trying to blackmail him. He's I saw what you did. I won't tell anyone if you do blah, 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 blah. But Carl disappears as soon as like Samson sits next to Ben and he's like trying to cut him off because he realized he's been drinking so much and that's when ben gets mad and then he storms off and then goes into the mine <laughs> mm -hmm. somehow <laughs> yeah my note for the interaction between jonesy and ben when jonesy is like you can't hold your liquor and ben's i can't remember what ben said but it was basically like f off my note was dude you're hella drunk too <laughs> like look who's talking <laughs> I think it was hard to tell in the show just exactly how much he was drinking because like yeah. he just had like, an empty glass next to him and the one glass in his hand just kept magically like refilling. It was like <laughs> constantly a different level of liquid in there. So you couldn't tell at all. Yeah. And he wasn't as drunk as Ben, but he was still drunk. What did you think? What do you guys think of kind of these scenes between Sophie and Libby? A bonding. I liked them. Do you think yeah. it's platonic or? I think it can go either way. I think Sophie would follow Libby into whatever, to be honest. Yeah, when they were slow dancing and when Jonesy came up and asked to dance with Sophie, that was my first kind of inclination of, oh, I wonder if they're going to get together. Mm hmm. I mean, they're like the only people in each other's lives that are nice to each other. Sophie has her mom and Libby has her family that's 
not mean they're a family, but they're not like warm, fuzzy. Yeah. And they're very much a good yin yang to each other. Like sometimes opposites attract a bit. Yeah. This also might yeah. be through my filter because I know Clea Duval is very out as a lesbian. And I knew that watching True. this, but I was like, oh, they might get together. They might like, maybe they're both bisexual and maybe that's the relationship that's going to happen. Mm. Actually, I thought maybe Libby is gay because at this point we haven't seen her romantically like anyone. Also, side note, oh. holy buckets, Libby was young. I was just going to say, I think it's as sad that she didn't think that was a thing. She's, oh, I swell. Yeah. Do you think, because we learned that about her and then from Dora May about how basically she started getting like attention around that age too. It's, it just sounds like that they didn't have any kind of, that's the way they are now. You know what I mean? The way, the reason why they are the way now is because how they were exposed so early and that kind of stuff. And maybe Libby partially had, maybe she willingly had sex with this person as a way to try to, well, be, A, was so normalized in her family, and B, to keep up with her sister who was developing. I'm not sure if, like, how Libby first had sex, if that was consensual or not. I'd also maybe. like to say, like, willing and consensual for a 12-year-old is very, I don't know. you know, her brain's not formed, but I... Exactly. She also mentions in the script that daddy shot him in the old wazoo, so I'm going to leave that there. Does that mean butt, or which one? Also, I don't know if you know what movie, they're watching Intolerance, and that movie goes back and forth through time, through Intolerance, through ages, and one of them is a Babylonian court. Uh, segues into the episode title sorry and of course and then like after uh, the scene with the husband and the wife that we see in the episode it goes into one of the one of the court scenes there and that's when like Libby says that she wants to be one of the dancing girls in Hollywood and I think that's a better tie-in to her Hollywood dreams as opposed to what we get in a few episodes which seems a lot more just like random to me. Mm -hmm. But here it ties it in better. She says she wants to go to Hollywood and be a star and she's sick and she's sick of farm boys grabbing at her fanny and insists her fanny is meant for a higher class of gentlemen. And then when she asks Sophie if she likes to blow this gig, Sophie can't answer. And then in my notes regarding Libby, I wrote uh, while we do enjoy Libby's, I guess, sexual power in the previous scene, meaning the one where she's uh, distracting a CL Dell, when paired with the following scene, at what point does her sexual power cost? What did her parents allow her to do and be? And did she have any choice in this at all? And I don't think she really had much choice at all, sadly. It's the morning. Sophie is taking her mother out of her trailer. Her mother says something mean about Libby, and then Sophie leaves her to go join Libby at breakfast. 
Lila reads the news as Rita Sue argues with Felix about the show. It ends with Rita Sue reminding Felix about how she was Miss Canyon City and to kiss her ass. Felix is not having a good morning. Ruthie notices Ben is absent. Oates tells Lila they have business to attend to. We then see Libby doing Sophie's makeup, and she tells Dora she has her period and she can't do the blow-off. We then see Lila cutting Lode's hair and getting friendly. He pushes her aside and says, duty calls. She chats about wanting to shop later as she takes Lode's up a hill. I like how they went from night to morning, and everyone is starting off with having their little bit of fun. And I gave basically a big kudos to Sophie for leaving her mom a little. <laughs> it was like, bye, mom, I'm going to play kind of feeling. But then also I felt really bad. I'm like, she's paralyzed and she throws a hat on her and says, good luck. I don't know. It just, <laughs> yay for Sophie, but it, it was weird. Yeah, I, I was pretty okay with, I was on team Sophie with that because as she's taken her mom out, the mom's, or how I interpret it, the mom's like, why are you taking me out? Being super ungrateful of Sophie doing this effort that is clearly hard. And then she's getting on Sophie's case, putting her down. And Sophie's like, screw this, put the hat <laughs> and walked away. Yeah. What I like that we see next is the, bit of banter that goes between like Rita Sue and Felix and she I don't know really looks at like an art we're talking about like the music and the dancing and that kind of thing and less about hey this is just a peep show and it's really interesting to see her take on it and how much you know she wants to be professional as much as she can yeah a good show with a side of nudity. I don't think Felix has any illusions about what they do. I think it's Rita Sue that wants to look at it in a different light. With them bickering this morning, I, it was a really good contrast to the scene at the bar the evening before where they're actually being really affectionate with each other and dancing together and cuddling. It was a nice seeing both ends. Oh, they are really a couple that <laughs> cares about each other, but head. My only other note that I have from this bit was I felt bad for Lila because she was trying to get her some. <laughs> nah, not today. I know it's been a while. Poor girl. <laughs> she's for liking loads. She's so optimistic, especially when she's going up the hill and she's talking about the dress she's going to buy and. When they go to the town, she's downright cheery, which is really weird <laughs> for how he is. He does seem a little condescending to her when she's with this duty. And he's, I'm not going to tell you, even though you and Theory are my partner. Yeah, I always wonder how much does he trust her really? Because it doesn't seem that much to me. Yeah, earlier she's reading him the paper giving good conversation she's cutting his hair she's gonna take him up the hill and it's outright mean but he's kind of arrogant for and weird but arrogant too on how he is with her i want her to have somebody nice that's all i'm trying to say uh, 
I watch this on the HD TV, and I usually don't. But on the big TV, you could just see how fake her beard is. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> makes me sad. Oh. And I just want to add in that I really love the aesthetics of that scene of Lola <laughs> uh, walking away from the carnival. I I just oh, think yeah, that, that shot's beautiful. beautiful. It really is. Oh, and there's like a little scene after that. Um, it's of Ruthie. She's watching them walk away. And then she goes back into her trailer, and then obviously when she shuts the door, there's some dust that flies around. So she gets, so she like wets wets a damp cloth, and then just like twirls it around to catch the dust. And I'm just, what? (laughs) Okay. I I mean, I guess if it works, like she is, she definitely looks like one of the cleanest people there. And all her stuff is still really nice, so... Hey. That works for her. I bet they had all sorts of ways to deal with the dust at that time. Mm. Yeah, I find like she's one of the cleanest, and so is Samson. And then the the, the Dreyfus girls do a pretty good job. And then I think Sophie tries to. I feel like if you're like an act, then you're generally more cleaner. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. And then there's a weird vision scene afterwards. Pretty much just Flora. She's sitting next to a cradle. And then the baby starts like a really piercing cry. And then Scudder comes in, looks at the baby with sadness, and then he throws them at the wall. And then the baby just shatters into a million pieces. Ooh. I'm going to go with the same person that had that idea. Also had the opening eyes in the... <laughs> I don't know who they are, but I'm gonna. I'm just gonna make this one person that comes up with these ideas in my head. We need. We need more weirdness for weirdness's sake. Yeah. Ben calls out in the darkness. He's in a mine and trapped. Loads waits outside in the dark. Jonesy and Samson bicker as we hear horses whine in the distance. A faceless crowd of people enter the carnival. Everyone has their guard up. Samson tells Felix no blow off. Jonesy gets into it with patrons who don't give him tickets. He takes it out on them by making the Ferris wheel spin near off the wheels. <laughs> and then we go back to Ben, who's going underground and finds a pickaxe. And Scudder, who passes him by, Ben says, I know who you are. Scudder replies, do you know what that means? He then sees a dead miner with a pickaxe in his heart. Just another day at the carnival. The scene with that moment with the faceless that crowd just coming in a big swarm was so great. One of them, there's a wagon there. It's just so foreboding. And how these people rarely talk, you know, they're just foreboding, but still partaking in everything. The whole show had this little vibe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, even the... So you have the the lighting, right? And then you have the colors that they're wearing. And it's all very black, gray. And then, again, we're not looking at real faces individually. We're looking at this big crowd. They're creepy as hell. It's like zombie situation. Mm -hmm. And I think at some point in this episode, they say about basically that the carnival staff, they're used to rough crowds and everything. So they know how to prepare. 
but still. My note about this was, good job, Jonesy. Stick it to him. Enjoy it. (laughs) He normally doesn't indulge in getting petty, and I don't know why I find it interesting when he, I mean, well, I'll take take it back. He has been petty, but in this particular level of pettiness, he's not normally that way. And I appreciate it. He's slowly drinking. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think what, Okay, because was it last episode that he found out that management wasn't there? That yes. was pretty recent. Yeah. I'm wondering if this big, I, I get that he drinks a lot, but if he's just really going down the toilet because of what he knows and can't say. Yeah, he feels betrayed by Samson for lying to him this whole time or what he perceives as a lie. Yeah. He's got no like friends, no allies, no girl. The Rousties are like, we're going to leave. And he's shut your app kind of deal. And Samson was his only friend. I, I use that term loosely. I also do think Jonesy is probably an alcoholic. And not having all this stuff is ramping up his drinking, but I do think he would be anyway. Yeah. Cause we saw him, maybe I'm misremembering this, but I think in other episodes we saw him sip on flask. Although I didn't really, he could be an alcoholic, but I didn't necessarily attribute that to being an indicator that he is or isn't one just because of the times like flasks were in. So I didn't necessarily put that as a, he's definitely an alcoholic, but as we've gotten to know him, it does seem a lot more steady than fashionable, I should say. Yeah, we obviously see loads with giant addiction issues, but we see other characters take nips of flasks, but not nearly as much. Right. Yeah, I can only really remember Jonesy drinking in this episode, though. Hmm. Yeah, maybe I'm misremembering because maybe I'm putting in future episodes memories. Maybe. I like Ben in a mine for like how they shot it, but also just the metaphor of he's trying to fig- follow the the trail of Scudder and understand things. Because really, he has very little information to go on. He sees a picture, he has a discussion with an old lady, and loves being himself and his cryptic weirdness. I liked this underground setting where he's confronting, I say that word loosely, a version of Scudder. Tina, do we find out more about Pickaxe Dead Man? Yeah, that's Carl Buttridge. That's the guy that Scudder killed in the mine. Mm. And, uh, yeah, and then I guess soon after the mine caved in, killed all the miners, and now all their ghosts are trapped in the town. Mm. I don't know if the cave-in was accidental or not, because Scudder doesn't really practice his powers or does any training or anything, so stuff just happens. So it's kind of hard to say. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it causes a lot of, like, shit to happen that he didn't really mean to (laughs) the clown of avatars (laughs) yeah (laughs) was pickaxe guy was that the movie guy was that the same name as movie guy no that was cl dell okay carl is the one that i mentioned appeared to ben in the bar trying to blackmail henry also in the script they say there's a lot of dangerous intensity in the air 
and they mentioned that like the miners are clearly more interested in the female like acts. There's a lot of shoveling and a lot of jostling. One act they keep going back to is that they don't really touch in the episode is Gabriel. He's the strong man. Pretty much, if you think you, you're better than Gabriel, you're stronger than Gabriel, you wrestle him in the ring. And apparently only three people have ever have beaten Gabriel. But apparently, like, minor after minor just keep climbing in to wrestle with Gabriel. And he's just getting really overwhelmed and overexerting himself. And eventually Ruth is like, Ruthie's like trying to just saying, just award one of them, but he doesn't really want to. Oh, no, I just was going to say, I remember her saying $20 to get in the ring with him. And I just remember thinking, that's a lot to go for a round with the, a really tough guy. Oh, and they also added in a scene where uh, Libby comes up to Sophie and tells her that she's met two minor boys and that they're going to party with them afterwards. The one for Sophie looks like Clark Gable. Okay, maybe Libby isn't lesbian. <laughs> Still could be bisexual, though. We then see the girls dancing to Minnie the Moocher. Rita Sue says the blow-off is gonna happen. Felix gets some attendants to put up another 50 cents apiece to view the special dance. Meanwhile, the Fender Ferris wheel spins wildly. Men start to beat on Jonesy. Samson kicks them out and tells a drunk Jonesy to get out. Dora strips for the crowd. She gives a wink to the bartender and does a handstand and lands in a split. Men grab at her and they take the canvas down. A shaken Dora sits out back with Rita Sue and Felix patches her up. You know, when we were talking about like how the girls were raised in a different kind of environment, I really felt that point driving home when you see both of them on stage and they have dead eyes as they do their dancing. There's no light there. It's just kind of what they have to do. Or at least that's how I saw it. I don't know how you guys see it, but. There's no real enjoyment in it. They just do it as a job. I'm trying to think back to when in the earlier part where they're dancing with their mom. And I want to say their mom doesn't look in the same way. I wouldn't say that it goes as far as that she enjoys it, but that she's attentive to everything around her. Yeah, she's the most professional. I think she's the main one. So she's also has the more desirable body type of that day. Yeah. And she knows how to work the crowd more. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas the girls don't really know or care about what they're doing. Yeah. I think Rita Sue has lived life and also knows that this is a way that she as a woman can be independent and not like live life and she's the breadwinner of her family. Libby and Dora may obviously help, but I think it's, she knows this is a business and she's good at it. She's good at the business. Yeah. She's, there's no shame like from her at all. It is very much like she can, like you're saying, like being independent and that she will do what she has to do. But I also think that she tries to spruce it up yeah totally i i think she's not i think that's one aspect of the business she takes pride in 
it's all encompassing and she wants to be the best at what this is and this is coot show but also dancing and and marketing when she's oh this is torn how is this yeah and i i wonder if it's her ideals that libby kind of takes on like her mom sees this as a production almost and libby goes that extra step of wanting to be on screen or be an actual dancer versus i don't get that vibe from dora may at all i get that she does what she's got to do yeah i also think it was a little bit heartbreaking when rita sue is like sees this big crowd and goes up to felix and says we're doing the blow off and you could see felix is like oh we shouldn't but you know rita sue rules the roost so felix looks out in the crowd and you could see in his eyes of oh Definitely. And out of the two of them, I would put my money on Rita Sue going toe-to-toe with Samson over Felix on how to do things. I don't think anybody tells her what to do. Yeah, totally. 100%. The other thing that I was thinking about after watching this bit is after Dora May is attacked and she's sitting there and shaking is her mom doesn't comfort her at all. And I don't know if it's distancing herself from the decisions she made or that's her style. But then, you know, Felix comes in and he's uh, bandages and care. Yeah, nice words. And he's being very fatherly. Yeah. So again, I don't know why Rita Sue is that way with her daughter. That was just something that stood out from that scene. Yeah, I think you might be onto something though when you say like, her kind of distancing herself from the decision and being like she'll be fine as a way to make herself feel better yeah she strikes me as a character that is never wrong so i wonder if that's really a personality trait not just in how she is as a parent or in their relationship but as a person we haven't seen all that much of her but from what we've seen we go back to Ben in the in the mind where he sees the word, and I'm going to butcher this, Tarava, written over and over. You guys can correct me. I know one of you guys probably looked up how to say it. I'm not going to suggest which one. <laughs> he writes it on his arm and lights uh, up a headlamp. We then see a drunken Jonesy walking away from the carnival. He finds a strung up Dora and starts to vomit. We see him entering the carnival holding a dead Dora. Ruthie sees them first and asks someone to go and get Samson. Rita sees her and cries over her baby. Dora has the word harlot carved in her forehead. Felix drops down to his knees. We then hear Justin finishing his monologue about the city of Babylon. I know, and that's why I hate this episode. (laughs) It's okay. Ben's later has an insane amount of fuel on it. I thought that too. And then he, right when he found the headlamp, and I was like, oh, thank God he found that. <laughs> like, how long is this lighter going to last? Tana, you're so practical. I'm sitting here going, he's putting fire on his head. And you're all like, what the levels, though? <laughs> uh, yeah. So, how, what, what, how would we say that word? 
it's it's Avatar. It's an anagram. Oh. Yeah. There we go. That makes sense. We're going to yeah. call Avatar now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that last scene, though. God damn it, Carnival. It's How do so you do chilling. It's terrible. Yeah. It's terrible. It's And for Jonesy to be the one that finds her. Ugh. Yeah, like, when he's carrying her through through the whole carnival show going on. Ugh. When he walks different. Did you guys notice that? Yes, he is carrying a person, but he's very much more steady on his feet, if that makes sense. Oh, well, that probably I slowed him right up. <laughs> I did notice when he's vomiting, I was like, wow, he's sure bending that knee a lot. Oh, see, I, I didn't pay attention <laughs> i did think it interesting though that when ruthie sees them she says to get samson and not rita i mean it could be that she knows rita's close or sees rita i don't remember the exact how they put the scenes together rita finds him soon but maybe she wanted rita to be cold versus just discovering her daughter yeah and then the other note i had was how terrible it was because Felix was counting the money when he hears the screams. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. This show. All right. I have a question. Okay. So Jones gets fired before the tent comes down. How do they have enough time to string up Dorme so far away before Jones gets there? I'm going to go with that there's a time from when we last see Dora to the scene with Samson telling yeah. Joe to walk off because we see her shaken probably early in the evening, but then we don't see her again. That's yeah. I, I did notice in her last scene, she hears a noise and then looks up to see what it is. And then the next time we see her, she's hanging from the tree. And you see her shoes. Oh, yeah they're such little girl shoes yeah so dumb question but why did she have to die couldn't they have got like an extra i liked her character i didn't want her to die i get that it's babylon i get it's a creepy show but i'm mad I, well i think they just wanted to hit someone that we knew but wasn't really we didn't really have such strong feelings of them because like the aim was more to hit at the carnival itself than to her personally. Yeah. Yeah, that... and it wouldn't have been an emotional hit if we did not like her. It wouldn't have been as painful. That's also fair, but I could still be immature about it. Your emotions are valid. <laughs> <laughs> you hear me, that's what you're trying to say. <laughs> so who do you think actually did what happened to Dora? Do you think it was a particular person or do you think it was a group of the men or all of what? Tell me your guys' theory. I'm not sure, but I thought it was the bartender that liked her and was very grossed out no. by her show. Too, but I, don't know. I just want to say I agree with that because we know he's like the only minor person that really like knows 
Dorme, they flirted together. He, we know that he's interested in her. Well, it's the only like person from Babylon we've seen with her. So, by association, I guess it would be him. Well, and like the crowd was more like a mindless, angry mob. Yeah. Is that where I'm going? And but like carving the word harlot on the forehead, that's some anger and a bit of like rejection. So that's why I was thinking him. I think it was him with Elsa because she's bigger than him. You know, I'm guessing she died from being hung. So she, it must have mean she was alive when she had that abuse to her forehead. Not to make it sound even darker, but I, I think he was leading a few of the mindless mob. Maybe. The only thing I'm I'm wondering is, and again, this is all theory and everything, but she would have had to have been silenced in some way. Because I thought maybe that happened in postmortem, but we don't get to see any of that. We get to wonder. Does the script say how she died? Maybe she didn't actually die from hanging and I'm just making an assumption there. No, it doesn't say anything. It just yeah. says she was like hanging there and she had the words carved in her face. So during her act, she had a headdress and a feather boa. So I don't know, maybe they did something with the feather boa. Who knows? Yeah. Regardless, they're jerks and I hate them all and they should die again. Actually, that does make, sorry, I'm going back to the thing. It just hit me that the whole fortune telling thing of why the guy's future was uncertain was because he's this cursed person. Because he doesn't yeah. have a future. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, I forgot to mention. So Libby and Sophie do go into town and meet up with those boys, Joe and Frank. <laughs> and they all smoke pot together. <laughs> I mean it's such a teenage thing to do. <laughs> that's one kind of afterlife. Yeah. And then <laughs> Libby asks Sophie if she can hear her mother now, and Sophie shakes her head. I guess Libby is a rival for Apollonia's voice in Sophie's head. Do you yeah. think that was it? I still maintain that there's a distance aspect to Apollonia. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, Apollonia would be in her head from that scene in the Black Lizard that oh, we yeah. all know. <laughs> the script implies that Ap Apollonia wanted sophie to wait before marriage hmm. and then sophie says don't worry i'm not gonna have a baby and end up like you and i was like whoa harsh it makes sense that was edited out yeah this is the first episode we don't have any back and forth to brother justin outside of the monologue he gives which is yeah. so telling it's like a the storm brewing that we are we're we get a brief glimpse at the, at the beginning and then have all this other stuff happen. And at the end going, don't you forget about this. You guys think. So management was the one that sent him down to Babylon. Do you think that was a good decision? Or do you think the cost was too much in what they, what knowledge they got out of that? I think it was necessary. I don't think there was a cost really given to it. I think it was management wants Ben to go on the path of Scudder and whatever it costs is whatever it costs. Not that it's really worth it in the lives of these people, but that's the direction, or at least that's the theory I have about the direction. How about you? I was just going to say, I, I agree. They were 
pretty much there for Ben to discover information about Scudder. And not that he knows what to do with this information right now, but like they came, found out something, and now they're probably going to leave. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why I was saying like they're not even factoring in a cost because it's, I think, one of the Rastis or someone says that they really haven't got any money since Milfay. And so this is like a train going down the tracks. Like, whatever gets in its way is going to be pushed out. It's been a really long time since they've been paid, though. So looking at the timeline of the show, they have episode one, Milfay. They have that taking place in April. And then the last episode, Black Blizzard, they said it took place in September. So that's at least five months where these people have not been paid shit. No wonder they're getting out. Yeah, and I thought about that when Samson was like, let's go out and blow some steam, I'll cover it. I was like, in my head, I'm like, I bet all these people would rather have that money. Maybe you should just pay them part of their wages? And it's just, it's the people that do the carnival acts have their own revenue, it seems, from like Felix doing the counting. So Kucho gets their money. I'm going to wager that Ruthie gets her own and so on. That's their bread and butter. Yeah, because Sophie gave the coins back at some point in time at one reason. Right, right. When her mom wasn't cooperating. <laughs> so who was your favorite character, Monica? Dorme. My favorite character was Dorme. I just loved her messing with Ben and she just, she was so charming when she was talking to the bartender and she just had this like honest truth about her that was just so refreshing when she's like, why do I need to learn to dance? She has that moment too that's really small but really very beautiful when she's talking about her parents fighting again and Libby's yeah basically whatever but she looks like a kid in that moment just worried about how they're doing and and less of this asset to an act for lack of a better word how about you Tana who did you like I really like the scenes between Sophie and Libby so I think I want to go with them I really enjoy those two bonding yeah we just don't really well we haven't got to see that kind of pairing in the show so far where it's really just people being nice to each other for and i don't think we've really seen like much of two female characters bonding a lot too mm -hmm. so that was refreshing yeah and sophie's always got her guard up but in this she's just not she's just being a girl nice you guys picked the nice ones <laughs> <laughs> what are we gonna say stangler yes <laughs> i'm totally going with the bartender he was completely really creepy he had what like maybe i don't know five minutes of screen time in the whole episode but he freaked me out in every single moment and i appreciate that about him uh the actor which you know I really liked that his teeth weren't straight. That sounds dumb, but I, it, it was so closer to the time. 
Yeah. He did do a good job. Yeah. For, like, in this context, we'll never see him again. We've never seen him before. But if anybody was talking about this episode, he would stand out, I think. Now, if Clancy was doing some scenes, probably not. But in, in absence of such a powerhouse of a, I don't want to call him villain yet, but I thought he stood out pretty well. Since the topic of Doraman, Libby Bunk came up again, I feel compelled so I don't sound like I'm shipping everyone that it didn't hit my mind that maybe they were going to get together until they were so damn close. Mm. So I was oh, look at this friendship. <laughs> Wait. Hmm. I like that they just didn't want to be bothered with the men that evening for most part. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Sophie's probably had Jonesy on, on her for a while and Libby always has people like after her and this is just, no, we're going to have a, a chill time. Yeah. And all the carnival men were seeing stupid. <laughs> you know, you could tell when Jonesy came up, he was drunk and when she said no, he was just like the drunk standing there wavering and be like, I, I I don't know what to do. Oh, 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 I guess I walk away now. You know what? And you bring that up. But in this episode, I think I'd wait to say that every scene with a strong female was that female being like cunning or smart. So you have Rita Sue arguing for better musical taste. You have Libby helping to con creepy projector man. You had Dorme, who is really teasing Ben. And yeah, I just, it, then all the guys acting pretty dumb <laughs> Not to be judgy about it. <laughs> there, were, there was a lot, as you're talking about that, there was so much kind of character building in this episode, mm-hmm. even though there was a very tragic kind of event and things happened, like so much of the episode was, and so much of the time of this episode was taken just having people relate to each other. And I love well and it's like we saw their strength by the people that leaned on them so the other one i was thinking of was the lila and how those maybe like this crazy half powerful weirdo but he still needs her to cut his hair and and provide with company and read the paper and libby and dorme and they're needed for producing an act and Rita for for guiding that and Sophie for putting her mom outside with a hat everyone <laughs> showed a little bit of strength I just want to say this episode was had really great costumes they were all a plus <laughs> yeah I think I think my favorite was Libby when they're at the picture show with her hat and her dress oh yeah <laughs> totally I liked how in the group of minors, none of them really stood out in any way. No, I think they were all supposed to look like the same person. Mm-hmm. That has been another wonderful bit of time spent with you ladies. Appreciate it. Thanks for anybody listening to the three carnies. If you have questions, thoughts, or have random bits of information you would love for us to have, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at Three Carnies Podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, my name's Monica. I'm Tana. And this is Jen. Tune in with us next week as we talk about pick a number.
Bye, listeners.